Hi everyone and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. Long time no podcast once again. Um, I'm so sorry this summer has been hectic and I know that my podcasts have never actually been routine in the sense that real podcasts are because I'm not organized and I can't make a schedule. Um, So they're probably going to continue being that way because it ultimately just depends on when I have a moment of like ambition I guess and actually have the means to go and record what I want and do it so it'll kind of just be what it is but I appreciate everyone that still likes to listen to these and tunes in whenever I decide to make an episode um so anyways today's episode I wanted to talk a little bit about off the track thoroughbreds and young horses in general and just the tendency to rush them and working through anxiety issues and horses in general so it's going to kind of be an umbrella discussion about all those things because I think that there's a lot of issues pertaining to those exact topics um I unfortunately in my line of work I see a lot of horses rushed along like especially since I am kind of the middleman between um, rehoming race horses when they retire to sport horse homes. So what this means is that there's a lot of horses that I've galloped, whether I'm the one who acts as an agent to rehome them or not, that will end up somewhere. And then down the road, I'll see the horse kind of washed out and stressed and exhibiting behaviors that they didn't even necessarily have a problem with at the racetrack, which is a high stress environment. And stuff like that's really sad. It's disheartening to see. And this isn't to throw shade at anyone because I've ridden well over like 300 racehorses at this point. So there's lots of horses that this can apply to. But I'm referencing it because I find that with off-the-track thoroughbreds in specific, since they're like a cheap project that people can buy for low expense off the racetrack and turn into what they want or try to turn a pretty penny on by getting them started and then selling them as a project. This encourages a lot of people to rush, unfortunately. So I find that with these horses in particular, it's a huge problem to have people overfacing them and just setting them up poorly. And then when the horse can't perform anymore or when they're really stressed and washed out and in the rider's mind need certain bits or gadgets because of that, the rider will blame the horse for it. So it'll be the horse's fault that they need a harsher bit or that they rush fences or that they do this or that when really it's 99% of the time related to someone failing in their management or training. And um, thoroughbreds are my favorite breed and I work with them predominantly. So this is something I'm particularly passionate about because I am so tired of seeing people stereotype these horses or try to make claims about the breed and generalize the breed, but then the the things that they're generalizing are problems that are created by the person rather than what a trait of the actual horse is. Um, So I'm going to go into kind of detail about that and I'll talk a little bit about Harlow and Betty and a couple of the other racehorses that I've had. And then just general problems that I've noticed um, with racehorses off of the racetrack. Mistakes that I've made myself um, in the past with racehorses. And just in general, common misconceptions, I guess. I've done a podcast kind of like this a couple of years ago. So I guess this will be like an updated one. And I'm going to go out of the umbrella of just thoroughbreds at some point because a lot of the things I'm talking about can definitely apply to horses who never made it to the racetrack and are not the same breed in general so yeah I think it'll be a good discussion and I think it's one that needs to happen because unfortunately the horse world is very fast-paced and instant gratification and in the show world in particular I find especially since 
if you can afford to pay show fees and if you can afford to get a nice horse to either lease or purchase, you can very quickly move up the levels with not as much work as what it would take to um, produce a horse from the beginning. This type of thing, or even like the instant gratification of getting a certain gadget and getting your horse muscled into a position that would otherwise be hard or impossible to do in the same amount of time, all those things, it's instant gratification, it's teaching people that they can make things happen very quickly, and then it's something that they seek out in instances where it absolutely is not workable, and we see it with companies that advertise certain bits or like the miracle types of equipment, like the thin line busy buddy for in the cross ties, and I'm not slamming that as like a gadget um, in general, like it, I'm sure it could be good for some horses, but there's things like that where they are selling these things to offer a solution for a problem that is oftentimes caused by management or training and is generally stress issues that could be fixed through handling and just kind of assessing why the horse is stressed and addressing what is causing it rather than just kind of slapping a band-aid on the problem and calling it a day um so yeah the instant gratification culture of the horse world is honestly one of the biggest problems and i think this is also why thoroughbreds in specific are rushed along really quickly and since they're horses with like high metabolisms that are generally like quick thinking, hyper intelligent horses that are like busy brained, I find that compared to other breeds, they may not cope as well with this type of mistreatment and neglect of their needs. And then that's where you kind of see them exhibit stress behaviors, like stereotypic behaviors like stall vices or problems under saddle because they just can't cope with that level of ignorance towards their needs and their mental welfare whereas some horses might be able to kind of tune out and shut down a lot easier and then while they're still suffering they're not exhibiting the same amount of stress behaviors as horses who are a little bit more sensitive to that so um, that's kind of why I think thoroughbreds in particular might exhibit these behaviors more than other breeds um, but anyways before I get into it I just wanted to let everyone know that all of my milestone saddle pads um, on the Amor Equ Equestrian website they're all on sale for up to 50% off until they're sold out um, I'm not going to be getting in most of the colors again uh, so once these are sold out that's it so I would highly recommend checking those out they're super cheap now and the bonnets that match a lot of the colors that are left are also 50% off so they're only $15 and then for my bridles, the pre-orders are closed, but that'll be opening up again in the future. Um, we're just kind of working through all the kinks for the initial release and getting in the pre-orders first, but I promise it's coming. It's just a lot of work, and I cannot stress this enough because I know, I know people don't like waiting for things that they want, and I know people are excited for the release, but it is so much work. I'm still, like, I have to do all of the, the stuff setting up the release and kind of planning for photos and, like, doing all that stuff for getting it ready to list on the website and advertise the product, but, and then all the, um, the stuff with, like, ordering them, keeping track of quantities and numbers, and just kind of making plans and deadlines, and doing all that stuff on top of, like, all of my other stuff, like, training the horses and then the side hustles that it, that, like, YouTube, um, my blog post commitments with certain news websites and so on and so forth. So it's been a lot. I'm running around with like a chicken with my head cut off. Um, and it is rather stressful. So bear with me. I promise it's coming. Your patience and waiting will be rewarded handsomely. So just, just give me, um, some time and we're going to get it all together and they're going to be listed for everyone. And for those of you who don't know about the bridles, you can check those out at the Amor Equestrian website as well. 
Um, you can find the link to that also on my website, milestoneequestrian.ca. So yeah, that's great. And then the other stuff that I have for anyone who's interested in supporting me outside of like the saddle pads or bridles, I have my merch store on Teespring, which you can find the link in um, the description for this podcast or on my website, milestoneequestrian.ca. And then I also have a Patreon um, channel that you guys can subscribe to for as little as a dollar a month. I haven't been super active on updating it right now. And that's another thing that I'm working on doing more actively and trying to get stuff together like infographics and then also potentially put together little courses. But um, for anyone that's interested in subscribing, it just kind of helps me out with the extra expenses associated with having the podcast um, and any new camera equipment and so on that I need. And also just in general, general business expenses because of this whole bridal release and the saddle pads and whatnot for a singular person to put out the amount of money that you need to do to make these orders it's a lot especially for a youngster like me I'm not that old I don't have that much capital at all and I've been doing this all by myself with absolutely no loans no investors and no help so it's difficult um and that's not trying to like guilt trip anyone into subscribing to me it's just it's just the truth um I'll do a podcast kind of on the business side of things eventually too where I can talk about how I got my business started and all that because it's been a time it's been hectic um the last like two or three years I've been doing so much and dealing with so much like outside circumstance stuff that I like honestly like it feels like a blur it feels like it's been a decade within three years and I don't remember a lot of the stuff that has even happened it's insane but anyways back to the topic at hand which is dealing with like young horses and anxious horses and so on and so forth so basically like my take on it with horses is that we could avoid so many issues if we were just like a little bit more patient and even when I say patient it means like patient initially because usually if you take your time the horse actually progresses faster and better than they would if they rush you just don't get like the instant gratification of doing something right away even if it's not done well if that makes sense so for a lot of horses like even with little things like teaching them how to hose and bathe and get fly sprayed and stuff any horse that's like nervous there's a tendency in certain schools of training to kind of just do things like putting a chain over their nose lip chaining them getting mad at them and securing them in some other way where you're kind of using coercion or pain to keep them in place rather than doing like the slow go getting them used to stuff or people will do it where they might not necessarily use a chain or something like that but they'll basically chase the horse around with whatever the horse is afraid of until the horse gives up and stops and This usually takes longer and also the other problem with it is that like when you do stuff like this the next time you try to do the thing that you just chase the horse around with and trap them into dealing with they're probably going to be more afraid of it and I would also say that this is why we have such a wide scale problem with having horses with trailer loading issues because the way in which people go about fixing those issues usually involves trying to scare the shit out of the horse so that they just go into the trailer or using like lots and lots of pressure to get them in and then it starts becoming a thing where just when they see the trailer that's enough to make them nervous and shy away and make it something that they don't want to deal with and it's something that like if you put in a few really good sessions where you're patient and you're not forcing them in at all that you could generally fix and yes those sessions may be time consuming initially but the amount of time you save for trailer loading will be worth it and I say this from experience because Milo used to be such a bad trailer loader he would like rear up we would always load him in a chain 
he was kind of dangerous to unload because he'd come flying out because he'd just be so nervous and he still is nervous in the trailer and it's going to be something that's going to be probably just his thing where he's not going to ever be completely at ease in the trailer I don't know if any horse really is because it's like a confined space that always takes them to new places so I don't know if any horse is actually completely at ease because they're probably a little hyper vigilant in a trailer as they should be as a flight animal but anyways he loads very well now and we don't have any of those same problems and it took me deciding to be more patient and taking the time to kind of get him used to hauling and making it a rewarding experience experience and not putting any pressure on him and now still to this day he if he ever does not want to load 99.9 percent .9 of the time it's because someone is standing behind him and even if that person isn't doing anything the presence of someone standing there is enough for him that he feels too much pressure and he feels overwhelmed because of the initial loading experience that I gave him because all I had known at the time was like put a bum rope on them get a broom and have a broom behind them pull make them go in type thing make it more work to be outside the trailer so now when he has like perceived pressure behind it's an issue for him um but with that said like in the past it would take me like anywhere from like 15 minutes to an hour to load him sometimes and then there was one show in particular where we actually had to leave him in a stall and wait for someone else to come with the trailer in the evening so that we could get him home because he would not load and yeah, the amount of time I wasted from stuff like that far exceeds any amount of time I spent training him to be okay with the trailer, and it saved me so much time to put the time in to teach him stuff like that. And the same concept applies to a lot of things, in all honesty. Like, even with the racehorses, I feel like a lot of them would probably be more successful racehorses if they took their time more with little things um, and weren't so quick to use, like, restraint systems like lip chains or nose chains to try to muscle horses through anxiety and instead try to address what's causing the anxiety and why. Um, and this also applies to like many show horse barns and like traditional training barns everywhere. Like it's something that I would say a lot of horse people are guilty of because we've kind of got this, this whole make the horse do it culture and like they're not scared they're just being bad like you can't let them get away with that that type of thing and it all involves not considering stuff through the horse's perspective and it all involves disciplining the reaction the behavior rather than what is causing it and trying to change what's causing the behavior and then in turn for like really stressy horses this kind of just ups their level of adrenaline and their stress and there's nothing more dangerous than a scared horse um and like I said, some horses are m more willing to cope with immense amounts of pressure. And those are the horses that will kind of eventually shut down and give the handler what they want, which is the calmer behavior or listening to, the, listening to them in quotations. Whatever the person is trying to accomplish, the horse just eventually gives in and does it at least half decently or to an extent where the person feels like, oh, I've done something. And lots of horses are willing to do that with that amount of pressure. But then you get these horses that are already kind of anxious personality types a lot of the horses that i noticed that are the worst about completely folding under pressure and becoming basket cases they're usually quite intelligent but they're the types of horses that are a little neurotic from the standpoint of they're very much adapted to be more successful because they're more successful in like a natural setting i mean because they're naturally suspicious of things and that's what keeps a horse in the wild safe is being suspicious and cautious and not initially trusting of things so these horses tend to be a little bit jumpy and unsure and they might be 
more likely to be aggressive too if they feel trapped there's kind of two sides of the coin you'll have horses who will behave aggressively when they feel pressured or you'll have horses who will try to spin and get away or kind of freeze and have like an internal meltdown and be super neurotic the next time so it varies like a horse like milo is a horse that will get aggressive if you ever make it make him feel cornered and really lay into him since he's now had so many years of not having that be a concern he is not really that way anymore but it would still be a situation where if someone really tried to force him to do something that he was uncomfortable with doing and make him feel trapped he would probably react aggressively and that's kind of his thing um, and then some horses are bolters. They'll kind of, if they get loose, they'll run themselves ragged. They'll run dangerously. They might not be paying attention. They may be reacting in blind fear. And this is also very dangerous, especially if you're ever on them when this happens. Um, and then, yeah, you just have the horses who kind of go catatonic and horses like this are generally the ones that can kind of like fall right over or they'll have one big reaction and then just kind of sit there like I've, I've seen a couple of horses go into like tonic immobility when they are like really scared which is basically just when they like freeze and give up and are just like completely terrified but in a catatonic state and not physically reacting um and anyways like the type of horse isn't necessarily always going to be what I said where they're like a more nervous type of horse that's more naturally suited to being like self-sufficient and in the wild they're not all necessarily going to be like that but from what I've noticed a lot of them are that way um and then when they're rushed and whatnot they get more and more weird and neurotic and people will either use things like their breeding to justify the way they behave they'll go oh this horse is from x bloodline like for thoroughbred stormcat is a popular one that people blame for their horse's problems um they'll blame the breeding they'll blame the gender so if it's a mare they'll be like oh she's just a bitchy mare if it's a chestnut they'll blame the color and be like oh it's just like a red-headed mare or such a redhead um and they'll just blame a variety of different things some people may even go oh this is just a shitty horse this horse is so stupid this horse is this this horse is that um so I find that the blame is very quickly pawned off onto the horse and this isn't even to like slam people and be like oh you hate your horses you're a bad horse person you clearly don't care about them because the weird thing about this whole like mindset and situation is a lot of the people that are guilty of this actually do genuinely love their horses in their own way but the way that they go about their training and handling is just so misguided and oftentimes angry that they don't really know how to come to terms with the reality or like actually seriously look at themselves critically as a trainer and learn how to better assess the horse's reaction um and I've also even noticed with like very experienced horse people that a lot of them will miss the quieter more subtle signals horses give them of their stress just because it's not like in your face freaking out big reactions and they'll completely miss all these little signs that the horse is giving them as triggers stack up and then when the horse has a big reaction they'll look at it and go what the hell that happened out of nowhere when the horse had given them like 10 signs before that that they were uncomfortable that were ignored so I find that a lot of people even if they're really well intentioned they're not necessarily observant enough or at least not educated enough on the subtleties of equine behavior to notice how their horse is feeling before something really big and potentially dangerous happens um and again, like, it's not always coming from a place of, like, wanting to intentionally abuse the horses. It's such a weird, slippery slope. And since I work with horses professionally and I'll have people from time to time that have these beliefs, it's a really kind of awkward space to be in because I obviously don't agree with a lot of what people say and when they're insisting to me that their horse is being disrespectful or bad. 
I have to kind of find a tact a tactful way to kind of address that and say that it's not the horse that's like deliberately acting out to be malicious and also in cases where the horse is like tense or sore or uncomfortable those are hard ones too because you'll have people that are insistent that it's just the way the horse behaves and it's just the way they are and that they're just being bad and they won't necessarily want to address things from a veterinary perspective so it's kind of a hard place to be in because like you're not always going to get listened to and it can also be very hard to not offend people when you're trying to correct their viewpoint, even if they're paying you. Like, a lot of people will pay for services, but they're not necessarily going to agree agree with the philosophy in full if it attacks what they have, or if they feel like it attacks what they have always known. Um, so anyways, with the thoroughbreds, I... I like a lot of people they're super hot as right now as like sport horse prospects because they're cheap a lot of people are getting into like the resale of them so they'll want to buy a horse straight off the racetrack because it's like a trendy thing to do and you might be able to make some money at it um but then they'll get these horses and a lot of people will get them straight off the racetrack and just start riding them immediately which I mean to each their own I don't really agree with this especially with really young horses who have ran um pretty much a full season it's just kind of like you know it doesn't kill you to turn them out for a couple weeks at least um and they won't do it they'll start them right away the horse might be in like a really confined paddock or stall and not getting enough turnout not getting proper interaction with other horses and then also getting immediately ushered into a new career and then when they start exhibiting stress behaviors people are very quick to kind of slap things like draw reins standing martingales bigger bits and so on and so forth on them and these horses that are kind of reactive and explosive sometimes people will use that as a reason to kind of use more gadgets or yeah bigger bits or kind of lunge the crap out of them and get them really tired before or ride the shit out of them and get them really tired um and they'll say that they need it because they're like a hot thoroughbred or that they're crazy or they're this they're that but the problem is that the horse usually just needs them to slow the fuck down um excuse my french but i'm swearing the horse just needs them to pump the brakes and slow down um and i'm going to reference kind of harlow and betty with this because even well-intentioned people can miss the signals that their horses are giving them um it doesn't mean that they're bad people but it means that they dropped the ball in one setting or another so um for example harlow she was very strong at the track to gallop supposedly so she was galloped in an elevator a bit um and as someone who's been a gallop rider i can understand this from the standpoint of if you have to gallop a horse and it's not safe to ride them and they're getting away from you and being completely out of control you kind of got to do what you got to do to keep yourself safe and i can respect that however i do think that like people need to critically look at like how can you help the horse with their anxiety to help them settle down without needing to always muscle them around because it's not sustainable to be galloping a horse who's still pulling hard in an elevator a bit because it's so much pressure on their mouth and the top of their head the pull um and it's just going to make them sore especially if they're going high-headed and hollowed out like she did um so that happened and then also she didn't necessarily cope well with being stalled like she never had any stall vices but I do think that being stalled 24-7 at the racetrack probably played a huge role um, in how hard she was to gallop and then with Betty too Betty was a chronic weaver like she was really really bad um, from what we gathered at the racetrack she was often tied on race days because she would weave or stall walk so badly um, and she 
would sometimes like fall asleep while tied and yeah from weaving um and she had a pretty significant high low on her hooves which is like one hoof being lower than the other and one being higher and i think this is from chronically weaving because the foot that was lower was the one that she kind of pivots off of um and yeah, and then that was also the ankle where she had a bit more, like, arthritic changes in the ankle, and I don't think that that's a coincidence, that it's on the foot that she puts the most pressure on while weaving. Um, and with her, she was a neurotic mess. Like, she could not cope with stress well at all. She was constantly hypervigilant and in flight-or-fight mode, and... Um, it was written off as her breeding a lot of the time because she has storm cat breeding. Um, but like from what I saw, especially once we started getting a handle on her anxiety and addressing the weaving, which resolved completely once she was turned out in a, in a field with pasture and like no clear gate exit or no boarded up anything to make her feel trapped, her weaving just stopped. Um, once we did that, she changed completely and was like super quiet, super easygoing, super brave, always did what you asked. And even when she was really stressed, she never really did anything bad from the standpoint of like, it wasn't like she was explosive. She kind of like held it all in and then would wash out from just jigging and like doing little things that were generally manageable, but she was really worked up. Um, and then she stopped doing that altogether once the management changed and she was a really quiet dependable horse who was super brave and like even in times where she was unsure once she like trusted someone you could just ask her and she would do it so i think that in different management styles and if her anxiety like before she even started weaving there would have been signs that she was not happy where she was if it had been handled a little bit differently like even doing something like making a window between the stalls so that she can see other horses i don't think she would have developed the same level of anxiety as she did and it would have made her a lot more manageable and happier to deal with and she also probably would have performed better and same with harlow's case harlow was different than betty from the standpoint of she had no stall vices but she was very cranky if you touched her somewhere she didn't like she tried to kick or bite you she's super skin ticklish everywhere I, I treated her for ulcers because of all this and um yeah she just wasn't happy to be around people she wasn't overly interested in people she didn't really want to interact with people and then when she did come out and you were doing like even just groundwork with her she was like a rocket ship um like you'd be going along and she'd be nervous and you could tell that she was nervous and all it would take is for one thing happening like a bird taking off from a tree or a horse in another field trotting and she would just flag her tail start piaffing and then like leaping firing out at the fence and wanting to run away and she would also even with groundwork would just grind her teeth the entire time um and then under saddle too she would grind her teeth from the stress uh, so this was something where I worked on it lots and I, I taught her a check-in cue, which basically to do that, I just kind of would be walking her and then I would kind of halt or like half halt for a second, even if she just kind of took a stutter step where she just takes one slower step and then have, and then reward her. And I would keep doing this throughout and try to use it as at like in time it to distract her from anything that might set her off. And eventually she started kind of looking into me when something would happen and then I would reward her. Um, and this really helps her relax faster and eventually I was able to get on her again the reason why I did so much groundwork with her is because the first time I got on her she like exploded into like a bronking fit and was trying to like take off while bucking and it was not a good time I didn't want to hurt myself I couldn't afford to hurt myself 
um, on a project horse that I owned and I was not comfortable with it. It was not safe. So that's why I took her all the way back to groundwork. And then for like a month, we did hand walks and light lunging and just working on getting her to relax. And then once I felt that she had relaxed sufficiently, I started getting on her again. And all we did was just try to walk her on the buckle and get her to relax because she just wanted to jiggy jog and get going and she wasn't at ease. So I walked her and walked her and walked her. Um, until we started to notice signs that there was changes in her behavior and that she was losing anxiety. So she started to grind her teeth way less. She eventually stopped altogether on the ground. Under saddle, it took her longer because she would grind if something scary happened or in areas where there's lots of new horses. That was a huge trigger for her, new horses. She would be explosive around new horses. So when I would ride her to school at this property um, that we could ride to, um, not along the road or anything, it was like a little hack, but they have lots of horses there. So the first many times we went there, I would have to get off of her once we got there. And I would just be encouraging her to like hand graze and walk around for like 15 minutes until she settled. Because otherwise she'd be doing airs above the ground and other dangerous shit that I just did not want to deal with because I didn't want to get hurt. She's very athletic and it was very unsettling. Um... And that really helped too. And then even when I was doing the groundwork initially on the property that I had her at, a lot of it was just encouraging her to graze and just trying to get her to eat and chew things because that helps her self-soothe. And it also keeps her busy and it makes it like a more enjoyable experience altogether. So all of that kind of played a role. But like, yeah, the biggest trigger for her was like new horses or like sudden random changes. Like she wasn't ever really a spooky horse from the standpoint of like she wasn't jumpy or unsure of things. Like she'd pretty much walk past anything, even if she was a little bit unsure of it or through anything or over anything, like very, very brave. But she was just so overstimulated all the time that she would react violently sometimes when a little thing happened and it would just kind of be like the last trigger to set her off and then it's like a, a, a switch would flip and she'd be off. And some days it would be better than others. It really depended and it sucked because it could be within a matter of seconds where she's being perfect and then a couple of things happen consecutively that I couldn't control in the environment and then she'd be off again. So this is why the check-in cue is so important for her because she needed to find a way to kind of derail her anxiety before it got out of control. Um, and that really helped her and then also the hacking on the buckle and like literally just doing mostly walk work and some trot for the first many rides I did on her it just helped reinforce the idea like hey like it's not get up and go this isn't the racetrack you're not going to be getting like I'm not going to get on and we're not going to just get right into stuff that's exciting and high energy it's not going to be anything exciting it's just this little bit of stuff and once she started to realize that that was great and then one of the biggest changes for her I would say um, was when we moved them to the summer pasture. Uh, the place I had them over the winter and early spring, her and Betty, like it had a beautiful, huge shelter with like hog feel footing that was big enough for them to run, run around in. But it was kind of dark um, and they could only see out the front side and the back side. So I don't think they liked it as much because they couldn't hear a lot of the sounds around the farm. And it was also quite isolated from other horses other than just the two of them. And it had an attached field too that they could run around in. But again, it was the same thing where there just wasn't a lot to see or do. So I did find that both of them were more on edge at that property and when they moved to the summer pasture there's a huge change um in their personalities and their level of dependency on each other because they were fairly herd bound at the other place where they'd call for each other and would initially get quite worked up if we only took one of them out we worked on this too by kind of gradually getting them used to being further and further away from each other and doing highly rewarding activities during this time so that they wouldn't 
ideally panic um and that helped a lot too but being in the huge field together kind of cured their herd boundness altogether because they would naturally just wander away from each other and they'd be quite a ways away from each other at some points so it helps them develop more independence they also were like always moving around and doing stuff and they really liked having a really long stretch that they could absolutely just haul ass up and gallop up um, and that really helped so Harlow mellowed out a ton since being on summer pasture um, but like leading up to all of this all of the check-in work and like doing the slow work that was also a huge change for her um, as she kind of started to be less anxious her body started to lose tension and there was some pretty big changes that we would notice because I was getting kind of massage work and stuff done on her so from session to session we noticed fairly big changes because she had so much tension along her the sides of her neck and laterally along the rib cage and whatnot and then her soreness around the SI and stuff so the more she let go of tension and the more she relaxed and started kind of stretching under saddle the better her body started to feel and look and this even included like at liberty it wasn't always with a rider on like the way she carried herself around the field started to change um, as she let go of tension. Um, and then the reason why, like, I reference her in specific is because I think she's a very nice horse. Like, she's very naturally athletic. She's easily the nicest thoroughbred I've ever owned. Um, she's a superstar jumper from the beginning. It, like, she took to it like a duck to water. She's a nice mover. She's got a beautiful canter. Overall, she's just a really nice horse. But what concerns me about her is that with how slow I went with her, I could like she could have so easily ended up in so many bad situations because to put it in perspective I got her off the racetrack in September immediately turned her out for the entire winter started her back in February and hand walked her for a month and then walked her under saddle for like another three weeks to a month and and yeah so most people don't give their thoroughbreds six months off after racing and they also don't spend a month doing groundwork or walking them under saddle. So if she'd gone anywhere where they would have felt compelled to put like a martingale or draw reins on her and kind of get her immediately to work and try to make her work through the anxiety, I think she actually could have been quite dangerous and she also would have been wildly unhappy. And then at any traditional style boarding barn where she'd be in a small paddock or might not have access to friends or free choice hay or if she went anywhere where she wouldn't have been treated for ulcers all of these things kind of would have created a snowball effect and it could have gone very very poorly for her so her in specific is kind of what got me thinking a lot more about thoroughbreds and how so many talented nice horses fall through the cracks because of their management and then it's blamed on the horse it'll be like oh well the horse can't do this it's never blamed on like hey maybe we need to adjust our training practice or our management and this isn't to say that every horse who fails or has anxiety issues or behavioral problems has become that way because of their rider but it's something to consider because there's a lot of really nice horses that just kind of get done dirty and don't have a chance to show how amazing and talented they can be and I think that's really sad it makes me so sad that th like there's so many horses that just get dealt a shitty hand in terms of the home that they go to which they had no choice over wasn't equipped to deal with their issues in a way that is fair to the horse or in a way that the horse can understand and learn how to cope with um so harlow's story makes me actually quite sad because it does concern me to think about how many horses like her could end up in situations where they couldn't grow and adapt in the way that they needed to and 
if that's the case, then it would have been a situation where, like, for a horse like her and for horses who are like her that have ended up in these situations where they're just going to be unhappy and stressed for lengthy periods of time and working through said stress and often having their stress problems written off as just, like, being a mare or being, like, a thoroughbred and so on and so forth. So that's kind of why I'm so for promoting, like, the whole, like, slow and steady type training because... Oh, like social media is just so bad for encouraging people to rush because people always want to see like the next thing they want to see the next exciting thing because even with Banksy like the amount of times I've been asked about when I'm going to start him or when he's going to jump when I'm going to free jump him why I'm not doing anything with him right now like what he's doing if he's okay because I'm not updating his training and it's like the horse is too um the horse is two years old it's like literally walking up to someone and and looking at their child in preschool and being like okay so like when's he going to harvard uh why hasn't he started studying for his university tests yet you know like you're asking about adult things or wanting them to start doing really kind of strenuous mature exercises as a baby um and even for horses that aren't babies, because Harlow was six when I got her, and she's seven now, like, so she's not, like, a baby baby, but she wasn't mentally ready to do a lot of stuff, and just because other horses might have been mentally ready for it doesn't mean she is, and even now, like, she's still getting used to busy situations with lots of other horses, because she finds it stressful. Some horses off the racetrack won't give a shit, and they'll be totally okay with it, and that's fine, but just because some horses are like that doesn't mean she is, and it's not fair to force her into the same box as horses that do not have the same anxieties as her because they've all led different lives and they all react to trauma and stressors differently just like people do um so for her like you need to kind of deal with the horse that you have and this goes for a horse on like any given day if your horse is more stressed one day you might have to lower your expectations for that specific day and that's okay it's not a loss you're not a bad trainer and even for training sessions if your horse is nervous and you're working through anxiety and you've been working with them for 10 minutes and they've been perfect you're not doing anything wrong if you just put them away after that 10 minutes and don't keep pushing it so that you end up making a mistake, having a big reaction, and undoing all of the good stuff you did earlier in the session. And one of the key things about training that is super important is knowing when to stop. And this is important because if you cut your training sessions off at a good time and you try to have mistake-free learning, your horse will learn way faster. So a shorter session that goes really well is preferable to trying to extend it just to fulfill a certain timeline. And to feel like you've done like, oh, their 30 minute workout or their one hour ride, so on and so forth. If you're not trying to just fill time and you're actually looking for successful attempts of the behavior that you're asking or progress, you should just cut it off at a point that makes sense where the horse has done what you've asked well, they've learned something. And you don't want to keep pushing it because you don't want to make it a poor experience for the horse. And this is something that isn't really stressed enough in training, in my opinion, because we have perpetuated this idea that horses need to be in work X amount of days per week for X amount of time per day. And it really doesn't matter because unless you're conditioning for them for the Olympics or something, like for the vast majority of horses and what they're being used for, you don't need to worry about getting them out for an hour ride at five days a week they will be fine and a lot of times the mental stuff like doing groundwork and just learning how to slow down is a lot more important 
even in terms of soundness, like yes, fitness is important for soundness, but if your horse is constantly carrying tension and constantly stressed and having high levels of cortisol in their blood, it's not going to be good for them. We know that it can affect their their bodies negatively. So for soundness, minimizing stress and working on the mental health component is arguably just as important as anything physically. And you're not at a loss if you prioritize that and cut your sessions short. And this is honestly what I do with a lot of young horses. Like a horse like Banksy, a lot of his sessions are like 10, 15 minutes maximum. And even doing little things with him in the field, like I'm still technically training him if I just halter him, pick up his feet and do a couple things like that. Like he's still learning and he's also learning out in the field with his friends, socializing. But the time frame that you work with your horse for matters a whole lot less than the actual quality of the session. You should always seek quality over quantity. The amount of time that you work your horse for, if you get a one hour work in, but it's mediocre or they blow up near the end of the session because you've asked them for too many repetitions of a behavior, then you've undone a lot of your work and it's not going to have as much of a positive effect as it would have if they had a shorter session that was cut off before they ever made a mistake or started getting stressed or bored or just kind of resentful towards the work that they're being asked to do and not showing interest in the training anymore. If you cut it off while they're still interested and engaged, then the next time you bring them out, they will be interested and engaged and likely build upon anything you taught them then. So that's ideal because then you ca- you can improve in your next training session. If you drill a horse for too long and they start to get bored and they're soured, then the next time you bring them out, they're going to be expecting the same thing to happen and they're not going to have the same positive outlook towards the training. Um, so that's something to consider. And then also the other thing for training in general is just that I think people need to become less afraid of using food in training, especially for nervous horses, because food is a very powerful motivator. Um, you can fix a whole lot of things with reward-based training. And since horses are grazing animals, it's even more significant for them because they're used to spending so much time chewing. And chewing helps them produce more saliva. The saliva buffers their stomach acid, thereby making acid splash less of a problem and less stomach sensitivity during work. And you get to keep them busy chewing and it helps reduce stress on top of this. So it's kind of like, why wouldn't you? You know, why not? It doesn't hurt anyone. You're not a weaker trainer for using an effective method over trying to bully your horse into wanting to work for you, which isn't what's going to happen. If you keep chasing and pushing for something that has no reward to the horse, they're not going to be excited to do work with you. And I'm not shitting on pressure and release based training because when it's done properly, it can be really great. But rewards are still important, even if that's your primary style of training, because they they give the horse something. Pressure and release is just taking away something as what people generally refer to as a reward, but it's not a reward because the horse isn't gaining something from it, if that makes sense. A reward is something that they seek out, that they want to have, that they gain something from. Food is a reward because they gain sustenance from it. They gain a treat that they like. Scratches, if the horse likes being groomed, they're a reward because they gain like physical touch that they like. So those are all rewards and they're not something you should be shy about using and it's something that needs to be normalized in training because it is a very 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 powerful way to train and it works very well and this has been proven time and time again in study it is undeniable but horse people are so backwards and not wanting to change and there's a lot of old-fashioned people who heavily frown upon this method and 
I've noticed it a lot because honestly with the way I load horses in a trailer in specific this is something where the older fashion style people that are used to using brooms lip chains chasing horses in they kind of will scoff a little bit and be like oh you're bribing them into the trailer like oh you're being so soft but then when they see how much quickly here like how much more quickly the horses load and how quickly loading stops becoming an issue they stop scoffing pretty freaking quickly because they realize that it's more effective um but some people are stubborn and even when they do see that they're like too stubborn to try it themselves or they'll make up some weird excuse but anyways the fact of the matter is that we know that food is a very very powerful motivator for horses and it can help keep you safer. Like I said earlier, there's nothing more dangerous than a scared horse. I have never been safer around horses in my life than I am now, and I'm working with a lot more problem horses and horses that have known issues or unbroke green horses and so on and so forth. The reason why I'm safer is because I've become more adept at reading their stress signals and adjusting my training accordingly and stop and like de-escalating things before they become a problem. And that is why I'm safer. That is why I've fallen off less. That is why I have horses that are going around quieter. It's not the fact that I'm getting easier horses or that I am just fortunate to get nice horses that don't do bad things. It's the fact that I have started to work a lot harder on de-escalation tactics and setting horses up for success so as to avoid a lot of problem behaviors and this doesn't mean that they never happen because no one's perfect and you can't always control the environment enough to never have a mistake made and there's always a chance of accidentally overfacing the horse but it has made me safer and i want to say that to everyone because I've had my fair share of like ridiculous falls or like scary explosives on horses that I have posted online and the reason why there's not really any of those videos happening anymore is because it doesn't really happen all that much anymore it's a fluke thing so any times where I have accidentally caused a horse to have a big reaction like that it's not usually caught on film because it doesn't happen very often whereas before it happened often enough that it was easy to catch on film but the fact that it's not happening now is actually a good thing it makes me safer it means my horses are happier and less stressed and i'm doing a better job of de-escalating things before they become a problem and this is something to think of when you're working with any anxious horse if your horse is anxious and stressed a lot i cannot stress enough that using food in your training is probably one of the best ways to fix it especially with things like trailer loading issues you will save so much time if you just put some time into training like that and really emphasizing things like check-in cues or taking all pressure off and just rewarding the horse for approaching whatever the thing they're afraid of like with a trailer you could literally stand 20 feet away from the trailer and then reward the horse for any interest in the trailer any step forward and maybe in one session you'll only get them a few feet away from the trailer or maybe you'll just get them right up to the step and they won't even step in that's great they still went up to it they still approached it you rewarded the approach next time it'll be easier and that's the thing you don't need to get 100% of what you want in one session it can be little baby steps but if you do them right and if you set the horse up for success and if you cut your sessions off at the right time instead of pushing for too much and creating too much stress it will happen and it'll happen quicker than you think it's just the initial patience that people miss out on because they think that the initial patience means it's going to take forever when it's really just lengthy patience for a few sessions until you start to notice really notable change and then when the horse realizes that they're being heavily 
rewarded and that all of this is great. It happens really fast. It's like a snowball effect. So anyways, I, I just wanted to kind of talk about that because I think it's something really important with young horses and it's one of my big frustrations in the horse world. So this is kind of just my short little update on stuff like that. Um, thank you all for listening and I really appreciate all the support. I'm going to try to do more of these um, and kind of just be more active on stuff like this um but no guarantees as i'm sure you all know i know no one probably gets their hopes up that i'll actually have routine uploads because it's never freaking happened um but anyways thank you all for listening and don't forget to check out like my saddle pads my bonnets my merch or my patreon account i'm just gonna shamelessly self-promote because your girl needs all the support she can get as she pursues the scariness of a bridal business. So thank you all again and have a lovely day. And I hope that this was a decent podcast, even if it's shorter than what I usually do.